0: Hello and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. We're so glad that you found us today, whether you have been with us for a long time or whether you maybe just stumbled across us on the internet, whether you've been a Christian your entire life or whether maybe you're just figuring out and discovering and exploring what a life of faith looks like to you. We're glad that you're here. What you're about to hear is a message from our current sermon series, titled, The Head and the Heart. You know, as humans, we experience a wide variety of thoughts and feelings and emotions uh, as we go through life, joy, anger, doubt, um, happiness, all, all of these things. And one of the amazing things about scripture is that it speaks to these things. And it speaks in such a way that it can penetrate not just our head with knowledge, but our heart with wisdom. And uh, so that's what we're kind of leaning into in this series, uh, talking about what it means to experience the fullness of our humanity uh, as we also experience the presence of the divine. Uh, So we hope you enjoy this message.
1: Hello, Foundry. It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about uh, a guitar a snow globe, a triangle, and a dancer, which kind of sounds like a setup to a bad joke. A snow globe, a triangle, and a dancer walking, or a guitar walking to a bar, and the dancer says, excuse me, I'm practicing here. And if that doesn't hit you right now, you might not be a, a fan of ballet, but that's okay. Hopefully, by the end of the next 30 minutes or so, you'll see how all of these not only work together, but that they support each other. So let's start out a little out of order with the snow globe. Right, this represents our relationship with God, or at least one aspect or one understanding of our relationship with God. Uh, you, imagine, are the, uh, the horse inside, if you can see it, and the rest of the space is the rest of the universe. Uh, and just in case I need to point it out, this is not to scale. Um, <laughs> so in this understanding of our relationship with God, uh, we, we're the horse and God is on the outside looking in, kind of like we're doing right now. Every once in a while when God wants to, God shakes things up a bit. God doesn't really interact with us directly. Uh, it's, it's more of just... God gets to shake things up a bit and change the environment or atmosphere. Once, though, a long time ago, God did enter into the snow globe. He hung out with us for a bit uh, and then ascended back into the clouds and is back on this side of the snow globe, looking in once again. Now, with this understanding of a relationship with God, it, it becomes really hard to have a personal relationship with God. I mean, we're all the way down here, and God's all the way up there, wherever there happens to be. It's kind of like a long-distance relationship on steroids. We have to hope that somehow, some way, our prayers are making it through this barrier to God. And and maybe if we pay close enough attention to our lives, we might notice when God shakes up the snow globe and changes stuff for us. And maybe we got that job that we weren't expecting to be offered. And maybe a loved one made a miraculous recovery from a grave illness. Maybe our favorite underdog sports team won against the reigning champions. But the truth is, when we have this understanding of a relationship with God, and we see it this way, we we don't really know if God actually shook the snow globe, or if there just happened to be a little bit of lucky wind in that globe. And then we don't really know what to do when the globe doesn't get shook at all. But when we lose our job, when a loved one passes away, when the Seminoles beat the Gators, we don't really know what happened there. But did God forget to shake that snow globe? Did God not want to shake the snow globe? Were our prayers not loud enough to break, or strong enough to break through the barrier? And who are we supposed to ask for clarity? And someone else who's in the same position as us, because, because if we see a relationship of God like this, God's on the other side of that snow globe. There's not a great way to ask for clarity. Now I remember struggling a lot through this. When I, went, when I was in high school, I hear, actually, I was in youth group at the foundry uh, at the time, and we were going through a little bit of church turmoil. The majority of my time in that youth group, we we didn't have a youth minister. And that forced some of us students to step into leadership positions when we were pretty young. Now, I remember I was uh, co-leading a Bible study at the time, and leading that Bible study caused so much grief and strife in my relationship with God. Not only was I going through the stress and the doubt uh, of what a relationship looks like trying to take my parents' faith and make it my own, not only was I trying to grow this personal relationship with God, I had the added stress of trying to help teach my peers how to do that as well when I didn't know what was going on. I remember the only time I could really feel God's presence in my life, the only time where there felt some type of personal relation between myself and God was when I was developing and leading those lessons. But all of the the hard stuff in my life outside of that lessons, all the other times that I felt like I needed God in my life, I I couldn't feel anything. It was only doing those lessons. It was only when I was helping others know God better, and I felt left out to dry. Why couldn't I? F- Why wouldn't God shake the snow globe for me? I spent a lot of time in high school very angry with God. And what made things worse is that no matter how loud I shouted, I didn't feel like I could break through. That barrier. It never seemed like God could or would hear me. I mean, I grew up in church. I knew the formula of what I was supposed to say or supposed to do to get God's attention. But when it came down to it, well, at the end of the day, I felt like the prophets of Baal when Elijah was taunting them at the altars, when Elijah said to them, shout louder, or perhaps your God is in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he must be awakened. I doubted my faith as I was trying to develop it. And James writes that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, I read verses like this, and it made me think, well, what, what does that say about me? That I, well, I obviously wasn't a very righteous person, I guess, because my prayers weren't powerful enough to break the barrier of that snow globe. I mean, I identified more with the prophets of Baal than I did with the prophet of God in the story of Elijah. Like, that can't, that can't be very good. <laughs> we're going to pause there talking about the snow globe for now. And with that story, we'll come back to it. Um, we're going to move on to talking about uh, guitar. And just a little bit, Joe's going to come up and help with an illustration. But first let me give a little bit of background on what it meant to be a disciple of a rabbi during the first centuries, during the time of Jesus. The word disciple is actually not very common in the Hebrew Bible. There's two different words that can translate into our understanding of disciple. The first word is talmid. And it's actually used once in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles uh, 25, 8, and it describes a student that is uh, learning from a teacher the skills of a musical instrument. Hence, using Joe's wonderful guitar skills to help with the illustration in a moment. Uh, the second word is the word lmood, which, which is used six times, so a little more, but still not a lot. It's used across Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah uses it to describe the educational process between a student and a teacher, whether that teacher be another person or God. Jeremiah uses it slightly differently. Jeremiah actually uses it negatively. He uses it to describe the people of Israel learning and living out the ways of evil so much that they have now become accustomed to it they now at home in the presence of evil. And so the sense that you get from these words is that discipleship is learning from someone so intently that your whole life is filled with what you have learned, that it becomes second nature to you. The process of becoming a disciple of a rabbi during the time of Jesus was very, very intense. And it actually put out in three different stages. Bet Safar, Bet Talmud, and Bet Midrash. On the first stage, Bet Safar, took place from about age five or six to age ten. And during this stage, children would memorize the whole Torah. That's the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all memorized word for word. This might be similar, although a lot more intense, uh, to a guitar student uh, learning the first guitar chords. The Torah was foundational to living life for the Jewish, the culture. Knowing the Torah would guide you in what to do, And guitar chords are kind of foundational to playing guitar. You need to learn these. These need to become second nature to you so you can build off of them, so that you can make it far as a guitar player. Joe, could you play just a couple of chords for us? Perfect. All right, so this is the first stage. Bet Talmud is the second stage. It took place from age 10 to about 12 or 13. During this stage, children would, uh, they would take what they learned, memorize from the Torah, and they would begin learning different oral interpretations of the Torah uh, from generations past. And then they would learn the rest, uh, and some would even go on to memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Some of them now had Genesis to Malachi memorized word for word. And this stage might be a little similar to learning to pray some of your first guitar songs, taking those chords, putting them into practice, uh, and learning what others before you have done. Joe, could you pray just a couple lines of maybe one of the first songs that you learned? Perfect. Uh, Bet Midrash, uh, which is the third stage. Uh, Bet Midrash took place starting about age 12 or 13, so it's right after the bar mitzvah, uh, when they have now entered into adulthood. And what would happen is they would go to a rabbi that they wanted to study under, and they would uh, apply to be that rabbi's disciple. And then over the next several years, uh, they would apply their whole life orient everything about themselves to following that rabbi, to learning to eat, sleep, breathe, and think like that rabbi. And they didn't just want to know what the rabbi knew, they wanted to live and do as the rabbi lived and did. So here maybe the parallel starts to break down a little bit, but we could almost say that it's akin to diving into your favorite style of music that you just love and you want to eat, sleep, and breathe rock and roll so that one day you can be just like your idol. Joe, could you play a little bit of maybe one of your favorite songs that you have? (laughs) Well... What you might notice is that as these stages progressed, Joe's guitar playing was more and more and more impressive, and that makes sense. The longer that you play, the better you are, and Joe's been praying 24 years or so, Um, and Joe's really good at it, but what's different about the process of becoming a disciple is that not everyone moves on to that next stage, not everyone keeps progressing. Everyone starts on the base level, Bet Safar, but only the best of the students moved on to Bet Tamrud. The rest of them began learning uh, the apprenticing of their family's business, um, doing some uh, different, more uh, labor-intensive skills, then continue to moving on and studying scripture. And then only the best of the best, the cream of the crop, would move on to the final one, Bet Midrash. Only the very, very best would become a rabbi's disciple. But Jesus, when well, Jesus comes in and shakes everything up, all of his disciples were actually disciple dropouts. They weren't good enough. They didn't make the cut. They would be, Joe would be continuing on to study under the rabbi, and well, I would be like Peter or John or any of the other disciples. Like We, we don't know how far we got, they got in their training, but none of them were seeking out discipleship. They knew they weren't good enough. I listened to this description of Jesus calling just four of his disciples. Matthew writes that as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Right, so we see that Peter and Andrew, they were already fishermen, and James and John were either learning the family business or had already stepped into it. None of them, none of them had completed Bet Midrash. They weren't studying to be rabbis. No rabbi wanted them as their disciples. But yet Jesus walked up to them and Jesus said, follow me. That would be like me. Hold on just a second. Joe, can I ask one thing from you? One last thing. Can I borrow that guitar for just a second? Okay, let's be mindful of the mic so we don't blow the eardrums out. Okay, one, actually one more thing. I lied. Uh, Can you teach me a chord? Uh, Just any chord. Um. Any chord to play.
0: Take uh, what's it? let's do middle finger on the second fret.
1: On the this D is string. right. Uh, is this, a D nope, the, this is the D string? This is the D. Ah, this is the D string.
0: Uh, ring finger right below it.
1: On the same fret.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then pinky right below that
1: one. On okay. the same fret. On the oh fret. no. Yeah. Oh no. Okay. I mean,
0: don't don't hit the top one.
1: Don't hit the top one. Okay, that wasn't awful. Is that is that, is that what it's supposed to sound like? It, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that sounded pretty good. Uh, well, I'm gonna hand this back to you. Um, and, and stop making a fool of myself with this. Um, we can give <laughs> Joe a hand. Thank you so much. Okay, so obviously I'm, I'm not super good at that. Uh, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Right? And Jesus choosing his disciples would almost be like Jimi Hendrix or Van Halen or any other guitar idol walking up to Joe and I and then picking me to be the replacement for them in the band. Not Joe, but me. It's shocking and surprising, and it's not what is supposed to happen. But yet, that's what Jesus chose to do with his disciples. Jesus is showing us that no matter who you are, no matter what your skill level or education, no matter what boxes society places you in, no matter what, Everyone can be a disciple of Jesus. Everyone can learn to live like Jesus. Okay, that's enough talking about the guitar for right now. We're going to move over to uh, this triangle. Now, this triangle uh, for our sermon today is going to represent Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, if you've done much study into psychology, it's likely that you've come across this before. The idea is fairly simple on a base level, that as humans, we all have certain needs that we need met, and our goal is to make it to the top of that triangle, to have all of our needs met. Now, in case you can't read these super well, uh, I'll, I'll, or if you're listening to our podcast right now, um, I'll go ahead and read through these. At the very bottom level is our physiological needs. Like, this is things that we need to survive as individuals or as species. So it's uh, water, food, air, sleep, reproduction, uh, some of the very simple base things in life. Above that is going to be our safety needs. Uh, so these are different things like uh, personal security and making sure that, that you feel safe, having good health, having some employment so that you can fill those physiological needs underneath. Uh, Safety needs move us from just merely surviving to uh, feeling a little more comfortable. Above that is going to be love and belonging. So friendship, intimacy, having a family, uh, feeling a part of a community. Uh, This is the social aspect of life. Above that is esteem. So that's working a little bit at the self, right? So that's making sure that that you feel a little strength in your life, uh, that you uh, feel a little bit of freedom, that you're not being controlled by others. Uh, This is having a little bit of self-respect and feeling a little bit uh, good about yourself. And then at the very top of all of these is what Maslow calls self-actualization, Now, there's a debate about what exactly self-actualization is, but generally speaking, it's the need to become the most that one can be, fully realizing and living into the talents uh, and abilities that we have. It's actualizing the fullness of our potential. And we can understand uh, self-actualization maybe as fully developing and supporting our relationship with God and with ourselves and with others and with the rest of creation. Right? This is the teleos model that uh, has become foundational to what we do here at the Foundry. This is what Seth has talked about uh, over the past uh, month, few months. So this teleos framework uh, is... Maybe how we understand this top of the pyramid, the self-actualization that we're moving towards. It matches with what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Matthew when he says, be complete, as our Heavenly Father is complete. And what he says again in the Gospel of John, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. Now, about 1,500 years before Maslow, St. Augustine wrote something that interacts with this hierarchy of needs in a very interesting and and hopefully helpful way. He writes that the beautiful form of material things attracts our eyes so that we're drawn to gold, silver, and the like. Uh, We are powerfully influenced by the fear of things that are agreeable to the touch, and each of our other senses finds some quality that appeals to it individually in the variety of material objects. Breath. Um, so, yeah, the idea that, that we all have things that are enjoyable uh, to our senses, that, that we enjoy doing, uh, different desires that we align our lives to. Then he writes that we may seek these things, O Lord, but in seeking them, we must not deviate from your law. Sin gains entrance through these and similar good things when we turn to them with immoderate desire since they are the lowest kind of goods. and We have thereby... Turn away from the better and the higher, from you yourself, O oh Lord, our God, and your truth and your law. Augustine writes about this idea of aligning our desires of good things to the righteous desires of God. Right? So there's a connection between how Augustine and Maslow talk about uh, goods and needs. For both of them, for both of them, there's something at the very top. For Augustine, it's your relationship with God. That that is the highest desire, the best good thing. For Maslow at the top, uh, becoming the best that you can be is the self-actualization. And Augustine argues that this self-actualization, that becoming the best that you can be, that living into that model of teleos and developing those relationships, that all comes when you align your desires with the desires of God. Right? So when we take the good things uh, like um, food, taking from the very bottom of the triangle, and we place it higher than the need of health, we call that the vice of gluttony. Or when we take the good need of property, and we place that higher than the good need of others and our relationship with others, we call that the vice of greed. And this is what Jesus speaks of in Luke 12, when he talks about this parable of a rich fool who has built this barn, uh, who tore down his old ones, built a larger barn because he had so much extra goods that he wanted to store up, and he refused to act generously. He refused to align those desires properly with the ways of God. On the other hand, when we, when we place everything in proper order, Framed by our relationship with God, a better you and a better world begins to form. You start climbing up this triangle to the top, towards And right? This symbiotic relationship begins to form between our relationship with God and our relationship with our goods and our needs. That as we grow closer to our relationship with God, as this barrier starts breaking down, as we start to understand God living with us and near us and in us and around us, the more our desires and our actions begin to align with God because we know God better. And then the more that our actions and our desires align with God, the more we become like God, the greater our relationship with God becomes because in living out how God is, we get to know God better. And so these, cre- these two create this upward spiral with each other towards a life of beauty and fullness. But if our relationship looks like a snow globe, we might have troubles with any type of personal relationship with God, similar to the troubles that I was having in high school, because we don't understand this this barrier, this glass around us that God separates us from God. And so that brings us to this very last item of dancers. These will hopefully give us another perspective on what a relationship with God might be like. And over the past few sermon series, Aseth has used the term perichoresis. It's a term that was used by early church leaders to describe the relationship of the triune God. It simply means to dance around. It is this ideal that God dances with God's self. A wonderful theologian by the name of Karen Baker Fletcher puts it this way: "God the Author." God the Word and God the Spirit, dynamically, relationally dance around and within one another. That each dynamically and interrelationally participates in the one work of divine love, creativity, justice, and righteousness through distinctive actions. This is also called the divine dance. And when we begin to see the divine dance, we can begin to see a different way of relating to God. Not one where we're trapped inside of a snow globe with God looking down on us from the outside, always watching but not always responding. Instead, instead we begin to see that God is dancing. God is dancing throughout time and creation, always moving in love creativity, justice, and righteousness. And what's more, what's more is that God wants us to join in that divine dance. God wants to dance with you and me. God is constantly beckoning us to join in this divine dance. We hear it in the words of Paul when Paul writes that in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That the Spirit of God connects the movement of us with the movement of God even when we don't know how to Even when there's no words to describe it, because God is pursuing us in this dance. We see this in the words of Jesus when he says to his disciples, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, well, you will bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Though apart from dancing with me, your movement is fruitless. We see this in the words of, Jesus, of, of Paul. He picks it up in Galatians, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, well, that is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. That against such things there's no law, because those who belong to Jesus Christ, they have been crucified. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Right? That aligning yourself with the passions and the desires of God, crucifying the disordering of passions, and becoming alive again with the passions and desires of God, well, that lets you keep in step with the Spirit. It brings you into the divine dance. Paul talks about this in Romans. He says those who are living according to the flesh, well, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, well, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace, that aligning our desires with the desires of God. that That is the mind of the Spirit, the mind of life. We see again and again that living in harmony with the Spirit is what produces life, keeping in step with the Spirit, moving to the rhythm of that divine dance is what leads to a fullness of life. So if we take all the things that we've talked about, the guitar, the snow globe, the triangle, the dancers, and we put them all together, we see that God is not sitting on the other side of a barrier, watching us. That a personal relationship with God is not a long-distance relationship. Instead, God is pursuing us. The Spirit of God is coming up to you today, regardless of what you've done in the past, regardless of who you think you are or are not, regardless of your circumstances. And God is saying to you, follow me. Follow me. I believe that you can be like me. So come and dance with me. Dance this divine dance with me of love and creativity, of justice and righteousness. And we have the option to join God's dance or to stay where we are. But if we choose to join, or if we choose to join, we get to learn the rhythm of the music. We get to learn how to align our desires and our needs the ways of God. We get to sync our life up to the beat of the song and match our actions to the very actions of God. And as we do that, as we continue dancing with God, we get to know God better. And isn't that a pretty personal relationship? To dance with God? I look up to my, this point in my life, and I see this dance playing out. Right? Sometimes I'm in good step with God. A lot of times I lose my rhythm. That time in my life during high school when I was so angry at God, so desperately wanting that personal relationship but not feeling it, I can now see that I had that all along. But I couldn't see, I couldn't fully feel that relationship because because my understanding of a relationship with God was stuck inside of the snow globe. I couldn't see that what was happening is that I was dancing with God. That because of the passions and the gifts that God has given me, one of the ways that I dance with God is through teaching. And that's why, that's why I became a minister. That's why I'm here where I am today. I feel close to God when I'm planning and teaching Bible classes, not because God is only with me when that's happening, but because that's the dance that God is calling me into. I started college as a psychology major and a marketing minor. But now I have a master's in Bible. I started college with, with no intention of doing... Te- I despised the idea of becoming a teacher. I had no intention of becoming a minister at anywhere close to this stage in my life. But as I began to hear the music, as I began to step into the dance with God, this is where the rhythm led. It hasn't always been an easy dance to keep up with, Sometimes I got off-tempo. Sometimes I stopped dancing with God so I could dance with myself, do my own thing. But every time I slowed down, every time I stepped away from that dance, God showed back up. And God said, once again, come dance with me. That is what God is asking us today and every day. is what God is asking you because God wants to dance with you. So what will you do? Will you join God in the divine dance?
0: Thank you, Hunter. Um, This point in our service each week is designed very specifically to give you the chance to answer the types of questions That Hunter just asked. What are you going to do? Will you join in the dance? Will you continue to live in the snow globe? Uh, These are not questions that can be answered for you, uh, but questions that you have to wrestle through with God. And that's what this point in our service is about. We call it response time. Uh, Over these next few minutes, uh, we're going to create some space for you to do business with God to pray, to meditate. We have communion servers around the room, so you can get up uh, at your leisure and take communion. We have prayer partners over here by the cross and also over here by the prayer wall. If you want to pray uh, personally with somebody here in the room, you can do that. If you're joining us online, we have prayer partners there as well at our church online experience. Uh, You can click the button that says, I need prayer and uh, someone will chat with you in a very private way. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, um, it's not private. So if you don't want to put your prayer request out on the internet forever, you can email info at thefoundryseed.org and we'll get back to you. Um, but most of all, over these next few minutes after I pray, uh, I would just invite you to, to answer the questions. What is God saying to you this morning? And what is God calling you to do about it? Let's pray. God, we love you. And we are thankful and grateful that you love us the way that you do. We're thankful and grateful that uh, the images we see over and over in Scripture of how we are meant to live in relationship with you are these beautiful images of dancing and of feasting together and of walking uh, with you it's these images, when we get to see these glimpses of your intended reality, images that bring joy and hope and comfort. And so God, today as we take a few minutes to, uh, to wrestle with what's happening in our hearts and in our minds, as we take a few minutes to maybe wrestle with you, uh, God, we, we just ask that you would um, speak to us, that you would. Help us to hear clearly what it is that you're saying to us this morning and what it is that you want us to do about it. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection by which we're saved, by which we can step into eternal life, even now in this life, the full, abundant life that Jesus calls us to. And so, God, we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending part of your week with us here at The Foundry Church. If you'd like more information about our church, who we are, what we believe, and what we've got going on, you can check out our website at www.thefoundryc.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com/thefoundryc, or you can email us directly at info@thefoundryc.org. At we would love to hear from you with any questions or feedback that you may have. All right, that's all for now. Hope you have an awesome week. We'll see you next time.